Welcome to episode 55 of the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast, Time Flies When You're Having Fun. And we're going to have great fun today because we've got a, a highly influential person, Mr. Connor Southwell, who does the Pinken, which is the biggest fanzine of um, Norwich City Football Club, and who also is the chief Norwich City correspondent at the Eastern Daily Press newspaper, which is the big paper here in Norwich, the one that we're all supposed to read. Good afternoon, Mr. Connor Southwell. Oh, what an introduction. Thank you, Ben. Brilliant to be here. Brilliant to uh, to see you again. And yeah, delighted to be on the podcast. Good man. Excellent. Uh, yeah, we met at the press conference and Mr. David Wagner, who we're going to talk about, was there, former Borussia Dortmund uh, 2 coach, um, obviously, and a bit of a legend, I reckon. Um, Mr. Stuart Rayner is here, who we had on the podcast with none less than Kieran Maguire, who I'm sure everyone is aware of, the price of football. Um, and he talked about football finances between the Bundesliga and Premier League and how that all fits together, which was an incredible podcast. And so it's really cool to have Stuart back. How are you doing, Stuart? I'm very well. Great to be here, Ben. Thanks for inviting me back. Fantastic. So the purpose of our show today is to talk about the indomitable, at least in my view, um, David Wagner. And he's done pretty good, except for, let's say, perhaps the era at our arch enemies uh, in Gelsenkirchen, whose name we don't generally tend to mention on this show, but they wear blue shirts, suffice to say. Um, and ironically, Connor, uh, your, your worst neighbours wear blue and white as well. They do, yes, they do. Those who shall not be named, similarly to to, to your rivals, absolutely. Um, so yeah, there's a nice bit of symmetry there. Hopefully, he doesn't end up managing them. Uh, that would uh, that would not be uh, very good. As as another uh, Dortmund link, Paul Lambert has has done. He's obviously managed both both teams in East Anglia. So uh, yeah, hopefully David Wagner is very successful with Norwich and doesn't end up in uh, in Suffolk. Absolutely right. And uh, Stuart, you have a pretty high opinion of of uh, Mr. Wagner um, from his, his time at Huddersfield Town. Yeah, I think uh, I think looking back now, it was probably the um, the highlight of his his career to date, and obviously the uh, the relationship he built with um, Stuart Webber then has been important in bringing him to uh, to Norwich City, where they'll be looking for some of that some of that magic once more. Absolutely right. I mean, quite phenomenal what he achieved. And I think they're called the Terriers, aren't they, if I haven't got That's it wrong? Right. Yeah. I focus on Bundesliga, which is what I'm doing my PhD in, but I don't actually know that much about English football. But I shall find out more today. So David Wagner, Frankfurt-born, um, he's, uh, his biological father uh, is, Thai, is Thai, his mum is German, and he is uh, a US... Uh, International eight time eight caps for the uh, USA international the um, MSNT is that what they call it men's senior national team and um, yeah uh, I guess we should start with the fact that he um, basically um, was a reasonably decent player um, he played for uh, an extensive time about four years for Mainz zero five um, he played um, one season with Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, and um, was essentially a fairly middling kind of um, uh, Bundesliga sort of journeyman player, I would say. He went on to play at um, Gütersloh, FC Gütersloh, which are now in the fifth tier in Germany. So, um, yeah, a, a, fairly, a fairly average career as a football player, um, but um, a, a considerably better manager. And I guess, um, you know, the place to start with probably really is um, his formative years as a coach, which is when he moved to uh, Stadion Rote Erde, the Borussia Dortmund 2 stadium. Um, and um, yeah, so he moves to Borussia Dortmund 2011 and um, basically takes over the under-23 teams with Massimo Mariotti, who I interviewed yesterday. Um, and uh, yeah, a phenomenally uh, interesting uh, feedback I had on him. But firstly, um, have either of you actually been out to Borussia Dortmund? Um, I have uh, a few years ago now saw them in a, a Champions League game against uh, against Bruges, Champions League group game. That's my only uh, my only visit. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, you you'd probably find it hard to believe it. even our second team get gates of up to five thousand, which I think for a third tier team that's only the under twenty threes is not not bad, Connor. 
Yeah, not not bad at all, and, and certainly something actually that the German football does a lot better than than English football in terms of getting big attendances to those under twenty three games, uh, second team games. It's it's not something that we really see as much in England, where a lot of those games take place at, at, at training grounds and often in front of either a, ha- a handful of people or no people at all. So I actually think the exposure that German footballers get and the experience that they get in those stadiums probably explains why their development certainly mentally if, if we want to link it back to the old penalties debate is is probably why a lot of those players develop in slightly different ways to, to how we see English players do so yeah it's it's, it's wonderful and one that I, I know a lot of people inside English football Stuart Weber is, is one of them looks at pretty enviously to be honest in terms of what they've been able to create there with those uh, with those under 23 sides and I think also if I can just just put in I think it's it's proven a good um development path for coaches as well you know um Wagner's not that unusual in coming from a, a second team background we've seen it in Spain as well with Pep Guardiola but it does seem to be something English clubs are doing a bit more of now we see more coaches like people like Neil Critchley uh, Michael Beale with academy backgrounds coming into coming into first team football but I think it's somewhere where as in many aspects of coaching, German football has led the way. And obviously Wagner was an early pioneer in terms of the English game. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And, um, you know, what we actually find, which is quite interesting, is that our second team, uh, basically they have a lot of fan clubs that have been banned from the first team, from the Westfalenstadion, Signali Duna Park, and they end up going to watch the second team. (laughs) So we have all these, we have all these, uh, Renegades going down to watch the second team at Stadion Orteada. Stadion Orteada is, of course, the football ground where Dortmund played until 1973, until the Westfalenstadion, or now by sponsorship, is known as Signal Iduna Park, was built for the 1974 World Cup. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, Wagner took over 2011-2012. The next season, he got them promoted to the third tier which was the second time after 2009 that they'd ever been promoted um and he stayed for two years and essentially um he worked there with some pretty impressive players which i guess you guys know i mean terence boyd and um ilkay gundogan and other players like that um and um essentially um was this, uh, something of a sidekick for jürgen klopp um and i think I'm not sure what you guys feel, but I think in a, in some ways, I think that his the fact that he played with Jurgen Klopp um, in the same Mainz 05 team and is a lifelong friend and so on has kind of coloured Wagner's character. And I think in terms of the press conference um, yesterday, Connor, I asked a couple of questions in German and his reaction was very Klopp-esque, wasn't it? It, it was actually, and I'm, I'm I'm actually a little bit surprised that he didn't get asked directly about his uh, his kind of links to Jurgen Klopp and their friendship. Obviously, it, it developed at Mainz, didn't it, when, when they were players? And uh, I've, I've obviously, since he, he took the Norwich job, did various bits of research and looked at past interviews where they spoke about essentially someone threw them in a room together, not literally, but people put them in a room together, shut the door, and that was it. That was their friendship, and it, it, it kind of started then. And it, I think Wagner kind of described it as almost like family members rather than than friends. Um, so, so it's unique in that sense. And yeah, they share ideology, I think, in terms of how they see football, in terms of how they see life. And they've they've stayed in touch. Um, so it, it is it's interesting on one one side. I'm sure he gets very bored of getting asked questions about it and, and very frustrated maybe with some of what you could perceive to be fairly lazy comparisons between the two. But it, it, is, it is interesting because, and you will know yourself, Ben, Norwich have, have had Daniel Farker before. And I think certainly at the moment, what you're seeing is, forget Jurgen Klopp, a lot of people are comparing Daniel Farker and David Wagner. And uh, it's interesting because on one hand, you've got Daniel Farker who worked under Thomas Tuchel and was very much a, a kind of a disciple of, of him. And you've got David Wagner, who's, who's a very much a disciple of Jurgen Klopp and believes in his ideology. So even though there's a lot of comparisons there, maybe because of their Bruce Dortmund background, actually they're very different coaches principally, but also in terms of how they want to play football. But yeah, the, the Jurgen Klopp link, uh, I think a lot of Norwich fans are hoping that it, it brings some some useful Liverpool loanees to Carrow Road, but uh, we, we'll, we'll cross our fingers and, and, and see what develops on that side. But yeah, he's, he's very much from the Jurgen Klopp school, I think, in terms of football, isn't he? I think so too. Um, and uh, I can certainly think of a couple of names, especially German players, um, who might be um, of interest from the Liverpool Academy, interestingly enough, but perhaps we'll pick up on those a bit later on. 
So moving from, of course, the um, Premier League has seen its fair share of under-23 coaches. As you say, Jan Zivert came over and took over at Huddersfield Town. And also, uh, as you said, Daniel Farker very successfully at Norwich City. Um, and uh, and now David Wagner. Um, but then, of course, there have been other Dortmund coaches like Thomas Tuchel and also Jürgen Klopp as well. Um, so moving on to um, Huddersfield Town, um, Stuart, uh, you write for the Yorkshire Post. Um, you're very familiar with the era at uh, Huddersfield Town. I mean, um, what was your experience of Jurgen Klopp essentially at Huddersfield Town? What did he bring to the club? What sort of tactics? And um, uh, I mean, we've established that he had a very solid base in Borussia Dortmund, a very well-run club that's very much youth-focused, that's fantastic at developing young players. And I would expect that he would bring something of that uh, BVB style of heavy metal football to to his role at Huddersfield too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when, when he left Dortmund, it was around the time that Klopp went to Liverpool and the expectation was that it was to follow Klopp. But actually, he, he pitched up at Huddersfield and frankly, the, the best thing that's happened to them for, for decades, really. Um, I think the thing about Wagner is it's not just, you know, again, a bit like Klopp, it's not just the style of football, it's the personality that comes with it. I think that was a big, a big transformative factor at Huddersfield. I mean, he came in in early November of 2015 and Huddersfield fans were a bit disillusioned with the quality of football at that time. They were down towards the end of the championship and he just really energised them. You know, I think, I think, I think the word I associate most with him is just intense there's an intensity about the football you know the famous gagan pressing there's an intensity about his personality which i think was probably ultimately his undoing there but it sort of needs an intensity in the stadium as well it's all about very in your face football as you say heavy metal football and after that first season he really transformed the club when he got hold of his his first pre-season he took them away for a a character building trip. They were doing sort of Bear grills type activities to bond the squad together. And, and you had seven, 17 new signings, quite a few of them from Bundesliga 2, you know, a lot of them from, from overseas, certainly. He really bonded them together. You know, he, 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 he worked a lot on sort of um, buzzwords that if the, if, if the, if the football isn't working would sound really corny and, and terrible. But he, he initiated this thing, you know, you mentioned earlier the nickname is the Terriers. He initiated this idea of the Terrier spirit, that we must play with, play with that spirit and uh, and uh, and things like that. And, and this sort of mentality of, you know, never, never giving in, never sort of writing off lost causes, always giving everything to the end. And I think it energized, well, it did energize the supporter base as well as the players and pushed them onto a remarkable couple of years, you know, in his first year in charge, they won the playoffs promotion to the premier league. Second year in charge, he stayed in the premier league, which considering the resources Huddersfield were working with was absolutely remarkable really uh, for him to do that. And I was just mentioning to you off air before we started, I was actually at um, the, the first Huddersfield town game that Wagner attended as an as the ex Huddersfield manager against West Bromwich Albion earlier this season, and the love for him there was really palpable and and, and quite fitting as well. Um, but you know, to those on the outside, they might find it a bit odd because, frankly, that second season in the Premier League was a, was a bit of a disaster. When he left, they had eleven points from twenty two games, and it just felt as though all that intensity just paid a price in the end, and he almost burnt himself out. Um, at Huddersfield Town, he, he looked sort of a shell of the man by the end, and I think all parties agreed it was time for him to take a break and recharge his batteries. Um, but that couldn't in any way take the gloss off the magnificent job he did at that at that club, which was just not. I mean, Stuart Webber described it as the League One club in the Championship. So for them to win promotion to the Premier League, they were sort of completely out of place in those surroundings. It would be completely different to taking Norwich up, who'd been you know, regulars in the Premier League dipping in and out for the last few years. Huddersfield were completely out of place there in terms of their stature. But in terms of their football, you know, they they won a huge amount of plaudits and rightly so for the way they were able to compete in that division in that first season. 
Yeah, incredibly impressive. And I, when you speak about that, it reminds me a lot of Jurgen Klopp's last season with Borussia Dortmund 14-15, where they were bottom of the table, literally bottom of the table, having played in the Champions League final at Wembley against Bayern the season before. Um, and then they finally managed to somehow get somehow managed to get up to seventh place and qualify for the Europa League in 2015. And and I mean, my feeling was exactly the same, that basically Kloppo had just kind of burnt out and the relationship had burnt out and he decided to go himself. Um, what's really interesting, of course, for me, it's been a wonderful couple of years in terms of following German football here in England and obviously Borussia Dortmund, but was has been the German connection in terms of Huddersfield Town and also Daniel Farker and, 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 and Norwich City, the Canary and Vogel, the 12th, um, German-speaking players at Norwich City. But just looking at the Huddersfield town, I mean, he had Eric Durm, who's a Germany international at the time. He built the team around um, Christoph Schindler, uh, Lutz Fannenstiel, great name that, Chris Lowe, uh, Löwe, as we say in German, um, and also Herbert Bockhorn. Um, uh, three of those are Bruce, former Borussia Dortmund amateur players. And um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a team that was flavoured by German players, I would say, um, Stuart. Well, I mean, you often find when any foreign manager comes to England for the first time, quite understandably, they they lean on the league that they already know. And you'll often find that they bring players in from that league, whether it be, you know, a Spanish manager bringing in La Liga players, you know, Arsene Wenger lent a lot on, on French players early on. Um, and Wagner was no different. As I said earlier, it wasn't even necessarily Bundesliga players. It was often Bundesliga Spire players. But Absolutely. he knew that they had the, the, the physicality, to to play this high intensity pressing game he knew that they understood what was wanted of them and you know i mean you mentioned christopher schindler there he scored the he scored the penalty the winning penalty in the shootout which uh, won them promotion to the premier league and he's another one who's an absolute folk hero in in huddersfield town for in in the town of huddersfield for the service he he gave to that football club and yeah it was it was really shrewd recruitment as well because obviously you know uh we talk about the German model and, and there was Stuart Weber in place and, and under the, under the continental model, it's other people who lead the recruitment drive, but clearly his fingerprints were, were all over those signings and, and he made some really, made some really shrewd decisions, was really, was really well backed by the club and, and came in at a time when, you know, on the back of Klopp's success at Dortmund, German coaches were just starting to become really fashionable. Um, not just in English football, but but across the world, there was sort of a, a realization that Germany was producing so many of these good coaches, and Huddersfield were one of the first to sort of latch onto that trend, which you know, as we've said earlier, continued with the likes of Farker and the likes of Tuchel, and Huddersfield were, were really you know ahead of the curve then, and and got full full reward for it, which only made other clubs look even harder to that market. Absolutely. A very good analysis. And Connor, we were hearing yesterday from Stuart Webber that because of the Brexit to EU regulations and visa requirements, um, uh, it's going to be very difficult for clubs to hire anyone who hasn't had under 21 or above caps uh, internationally. Um, in terms of what was your perception of um, of the press conference in terms of um, the prospects of him Wagner bringing in German players, therefore, I mean, and also how did you regard those Huddersfield years? I mean, I remember when... Uh, Norwich played against Huddersfield. Um, I believe you lost against them at least once, anyway, even at home. Yeah, well, that, that actually, I was just about. I was just uh, got that that game up in, in front of me to 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 remember it because I remember that night, and I was uh, as a Norwich fan then, rather than as in the capacity now, where I, where I sit in the press box and remember watching that game. Uh, David Wagner's Huddersfield came to Carrow. They won two one, but to be honest, they absolutely battered Norwich. It didn't really look like that in terms of statistically. Um, but I remember being really struck by how they played, the intensity of which they played, which obviously Stuart has, has spoken about in such great detail, but but also how kind of it looked like one team that was very modern and very progressive against the Norwich team full of players who played in the Premier League. Uh, and I mean, some of the names will, will be familiar to to you guys, John Ruddy, Ryan Bennett, Sebastian Besson, Graham Dorans, Johnny Housen, Nelson Oliveira, Robbie Brady. I mean, all, all of these kind of players who were on big money at, at kind of championship level and works. It's not too dissimilar to the situation that, that actually he's inheriting now uh, in terms of squad, but they looked like a team kind of going in the in the other direction. I think all Norwich fans kind of sat up and took notice of David Wagner's name. Uh, and obviously at that stage, they didn't know that a few months later, Stuart Webber would arrive at Carrow Road and they would go down a very sort of similar German uh, journey. But 
so those Huddersfield years for me, I, I remember kind of sat, sitting there in the, in the ground and thinking, I've never seen a team try and do what, what, what David Wagner was trying to do with Huddersfield. And it was exciting, even as someone who maybe was supporting the team that was getting beaten at the time. Um, and of course, it was a wonderful narrative as well, even externally. I think everyone was kind of rooting for Huddersfield to, to go up. Maybe Norwich fans weren't in the end because there were there were some that wanted David Wagner to follow Stuart Webber to, to carry out at that point, which which obviously didn't happen. Uh, and, and, and Norwich ended up with Daniel Farker. So I think actually, if you asked anyone in English football about great stories, particularly of the of the EFL, they would cite that Huddersfield one as as being well and truly up there because as as for all the reasons that Stuart has outlined, Huddersfield in the Premier League just just felt absolutely bonkers to be honest. Um, but that's what he did; he made it possible. He makes people believe, and I think you know you, you, we were both at the press conference yesterday and uh, Monday, sorry, and he he did bring an energy and he did bring an enthusiasm and a desire. I thought he looked really determined really refreshed he's obviously had a uh, sort of nine month break or so hasn't he since he, he got sacked at Young Boys and I felt you could see that and actually the position that Norwich City are in from what Stuart has described there it isn't too dissimilar in terms of everyone maybe needing a lift everyone feeling a bit disillusioned not just with the football on the pitch but the football club uh, on, on wider terms there is a bit of a disconnect between fans players and, uh, and kind of senior officials and so they've turned to a man to try and repair that as much as repair kind of the tactical aspects and, and the aspects on the pitch. So when we talk about personality, absolutely, it kind of feels like for where Norwich City are at the moment, that that is completely uh, what they need. And you're completely right. I mean, Norwich have, have seen firsthand kind of the under Daniel Farker. And, and again, you all know some of these names really well. Mario Vrancic, Christoph Zimmerman, Tamer Puki, no, he's not German, but uh, another one that they kind of plucked from 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 nowhere relatively. But there was a lot of, of German players in that team, Marco Stiepermann, Mo Leitner, uh, we could go on. Um, the less who, we say about Moritz Leitner, the better, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> he blew me yeah. out for an interview I travelled to Zurich for so let's just let's just drop him Stuart how important is the relationship um, uh, Stuart, uh, uh, Stuart Weber and uh, Daniel Farker uh, Daniel uh, David Wagner and do you think that um, they can uh, reignite that partnership basically what did Stuart Weber bring to the partnership essentially and uh, uh, how, how do you see the prospects of him being able to reignite that I guess that's a question Connor that you would uh, you would sign you would sign it. You would agree to as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um, I think it's going to be very important that that relationship and that that wider infrastructure, really, because as I said, Wagner did seem to burn himself out within within three years at, at, at Huddersfield, and and you look at it, and and I'm astonished. You see people as intense as Guardiola and Klopp at the top of the Premier League. And I'm astonished that they've had the longevity that they have. Obviously, Klopp had a long time at Dortmund as well. Until Guardiola came to England, it was very much three years here, four years there, three years here, and, just, and then and then I need a break to recharge the battery. So I think that must say something for the infrastructure around them that yeah. allows them to sort of focus their energy and not expend it too much on, on other things. And you would hope at, at Norwich City with the with the legacy of the of, of these premiership years, you know, the, the TV money and the parachute payments that comes comes with it, he'll be able to have the sort of support staff led by Stuart Webber, but not by no means just Stuart Webber, to take some of the strains off him and to allow him to just focus on on what he does best. But I, I think it may, I think it makes a huge difference. You know, there's there's still we're still quite quite new in England to the ideas of sporting directors or whatever title you want to call them and coaches. And there's still a lot of suspicion amongst fans in this country about how that relationship works. But I think when you've got the coach and a guy like Stuart Webber, where that relationship already exists and Stuart Webber knows exactly the profile of player that David Wagner wants, and he knows where to look for them. I think that is crucial because as I said, those that raft of initial Huddersfield signings were very much David Wagner signings in profile, but they, you know, I'm sure most of the legwork, if not all of it, was done by Stuart Weber. So when you've got that sort of relationship without having to work on it, I think that could be that could be crucial because obviously the time of season is coming in, the position Norwich are in, there's no time to waste. They've got to hit the ground running in this January transfer window, and they've got to hit the ground running in terms of results because they've given everyone, well, not everyone, they've given the the, the front runners a head start this season. 
So at the time when he took over, the value of the squad, Huddersfield squad was about 40 million, which is ridiculous, basically. Um, so do you feel, I mean, did, did Stuart Webber do a lot at Huddersfield Town? What did he actually do in terms of restructuring, changing the club? And so what was it that you that you became aware of? And also what influence did Wagner have on Huddersfield Town in terms of uh, changing the culture of the club. I, I, I spoke to Christoph Zimmerman, Mario Vrancic. They talked a lot about German discipline, commitment, etc. Uh, and they said that there was a transformational cultural change, which I wonder, you know, Connor, I'll come straight back to you. But um, to, uh, what, what do you feel was, um, was, was, was the main changes that you saw at the time at Huddersfield? Well, I think I think the cultural change is the main thing. You know, I've talked about that 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 terrier spirit, that that fearlessness. You know, that Huddersfield stayed up in that first season by getting draws at Manchester City and Chelsea. Um, Huddersfield shouldn't get draws against Manchester City and Chelsea. That's not that's yeah. not logical. Um, but they they weren't prepared to accept that they were little Huddersfield, and and it, you know it was it was a given that they were going to lose at Manchester City. So there was this. Mm-hmm. There was this real, yeah, there was this real change of mindset and change of ambition. And, um, you know, as, as I said before, with regards to sort of catchphrases like Terrier Spirit, if they if they don't work, they look terrible. It looks deluded and ridiculous. But if you get quick results, then people start to believe, actually, this, this really works. And if you bring in players who've either worked with Wagner before in Germany or seen his work as an opposition player, and they believe in it too, then it, it just created a snowball effect, really. And I think I think that was that was the key for them. I think it's going to be, I think one one thing that's going to be more difficult at Norwich is that you know, as I said at the time he came in, it was it was a very fashionable sort of um, approach and way way of playing and on all that sort of thing. We'd had the we'd had the Champions League final between Bayern Munich and Dortmund. It was all it was all new and it was all different to English football. So when Connor's watching the game, it was like, wow, you know, I've not I've not seen football like this. Well, we see a lot more of it now because obviously people have copied those those successful methods. So he doesn't have that same sort of surprise element that he has that he had. That 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 is a that is a barrier. But I say he does come in with those relationships already built, and that's going to be massive for him. Connor, um, what have been the main influences essentially? Do you do you agree with me about what uh, Farker brought to Norwich City, and what have been the main influences that you've seen um, uh, from Stuart Webber so far at Norwich City? Obviously, uh, with Farker, it was successful. Dean Smith. I mean, I I grew up an Aston Villa fan here in England, so I expected a lot from Dean Smith. But I think in some ways the club just essentially failed to back him to some degree. I would say that as a as a not as a, as a, as a sympathiser of Norwich City rather than a fan, although we do share the colour yellow, which is obviously the best possible colour for a football team. Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. Like you say, I think um, so, so, so when Daniel Farker first arrived, there were a lot of, of cultural changes that he introduced that actually a lot of kind of more senior English pros who had played a lot of games in the FL really struggled to grasp. Cameron Jerome, I remember really complaining about the fact that they were suddenly doing double sessions and that there was a real change and intensity of, of the training methods. Russell Martin, who was at Norwich for nearly a decade, an absolute club legend, oh, yeah. uh, really struggled to to grasp that those kind of changes in, in, in training methods. So that was kind of on, on more of a practical level. I think that, that discipline that you spoke about is certainly something that, that Stuart Weber brought. And what's interesting actually about the environment that that David Wagner is walking into is actually there's a lot of staff at Norwich City currently who worked with him at Huddersfield and that's kind of beyond Stuart Webber so some of these names I mentioned will be familiar to to Stuart but John Iger who was his head of performance is now in in a slightly different role at Norwich City but but he's here Uh, Andrew Hughes who's now um, become his first team coach again but he was loans manager also here academy manager Steve Weaver who's at Huddersfield also at Norwich City there are a couple of other examples um uh, so it, it is really interesting because that kind of infrastructure, like you say, is already there. But Stuart's absolutely right. It's a completely different prospect because A, the level of expectation at Norwich City at this moment in time is is massive. I think that probably less so on him, but more wider that this team should should be getting promoted. That's certainly not the situation he inherited at, 
Huddersfield Town, um, but but also him and Stuart Webber are meeting in different circumstances. Their their careers have dipped for various for various reasons. For Stuart Webber, it's it's been kind of relegations from the Premier League and pretty damaging ones. And for David Wagner, it's been a couple of jobs that haven't panned out. And and yes, there have been mitigation in that, but still that that has somewhat damaged his reputation, if not in English football, then, then certainly in in German football. So um, it it's it's really interesting that they're t- they're meeting again. At pretty low ebbs in their career, uh, respective to where they have been previously. Whereas Stuart said before, they were complete unknowns. That's not the case now, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see if that creates a different outcome, I suppose, compared to maybe what what they encountered together and what they enjoyed together at Huddersfield Town. Now, time for a short announcement. If you love Borussia Dortmund, why not join us for a live game and have a couple of Dortmund Union beers? at the Stamptage meetup of the official Borussia Dortmund fan club in London. We meet on match days at the Fitzroy Wine Cellar on Cleveland Street. For more details, head to our Facebook page or give us a call on 07459-394-121. And now, back to the show. In some ways, the Schalke season was hit by COVID. It was hit by the chief executive leaving at the time. It was hit by um, in, in a racism scandal, actually, ironically, um, and also financial scandal as well. Um, it was hit by um, very serious injuries to the team, including Leroy Sané. Um, and um, basically, I mean, it was fairly successful in the, in the first season he took Schalke to uh, 12th place in the season. And then by the eighth match of the second season, they were up to uh, fourth place. Um, But then they had a massive crash when COVID hit, basically. And essentially, um, the team came crashing down. And um, to put it into context, Schalke have had eight managers since David Wagner left. So, I mean, I think that kind of contextualizes it. I mean, eight managers in what, four years, and now they're probably looking at their second relegation in a row this season. I mean, at the end of the day, it does paint a picture of instability. Um, and whilst, you know, we have to be realistic, I think that the Schalke episode, um, Connor, perhaps doesn't fully, you know, you can't fully say, OK, that's a massive black mark on, on Wagner's career. I think the context of the club has to be taken into consideration. Yeah, completely agree, and a lot of really good managers have taken on that job and really struggled as well. Um, when we when he was appointed, I, I kind of had a chat with Dan O'Hagan, who, who commentates on on the Bundesliga and has a lot more knowledge about it than me. But he, he pretty much outlined all of those aspects that you've spoken about there. I mean, from from the, from my perspective, and to try and kind of relate it to English football, it doesn't seem too dissimilar to kind of what's happened at Everton, maybe on a bit more of an extreme level, where it just feels like whoever takes that over is just going to, it's kind of doomed to failure because of the various aspects around disjointed recruitment, various off the pitch stuff and, and stuff that's out of your control. But I completely understand that when, I know you won't want to, you won't want to hear this being a Dortmund fan podcast, but when a, a club the size of Schalke rings you, I, I think you have to listen, don't you? So, um, unless you're a Dortmund fan, uh, but so, so I completely understand why he felt that was a challenge he wanted to take. I think, from, from what you've spoken about and what, what Stuart has spoken about in terms of the intensity that he wants to create, playing behind closed doors will certainly have an impact on what he's trying to do because, uh, and we, we all saw it and felt it, when, when you're in a football stadium with nobody else in it, it is kind of a, a sanitised atmosphere, a really odd atmosphere. It's, it's difficult for players to get themselves up for games and uh, obviously Norwich had real success under Daniel Farker, but I think the style of play was almost better suited to actually having no fans in the stadium and not having that intensity, particularly away from home. Yeah. I mean, no. Sorry, go on. No, I mean, the question I asked at the um, at the uh, press conference was about the Ruhrpott power, you know, that, that heavy metal uh, Ruhr, Ruhr Valley football, you know, uh, uh, iron and coal, you know, the Schalke, the Dortmund, you know, that that kind of what, what cultural changes he might bring to uh, Norwich City. And I mean, um, essentially Dortmund and Schalke, I mean, they both have, you know, massive stadiums, incredibly loyal supporters. Dortmund has an average gate of 79,000. Um, you know, Schalke similar. Um, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a club which thrives on its fan base. And essentially, yeah, it, it did definitely very much crashed. And as you were saying, you know, you've had coaches there, for example, Mike Buskins, Frank Kramer, even the legendary Hoop Stevens um, and Christian Gross, who is certainly uh, one of the big names uh, in, 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 in coaching in the Bundesliga. So, I mean, you know, it was a hot seat, I think, and a hot seat too far. Um, Stuart, what are your views about Wagner's era at Young Boys? I mean, you're um, 
I'm not going to say which team you support. I just almost, almost dropped you in it there. But um, I know that you certainly um, follow a team which has played against um, young boys in the Champions League. And uh, yeah, I mean, what's your view of um, of, of the young boys era? Um, I mean, um, yeah. Well, just a, a, a big disappointment, really, from Wagner's perspective. You know, it, it's it's one of those clubs in its league. It's like, you know, Bayern in the Bundesliga. It's like PSG in in. League and you know it was like Juventus a few years ago not winning the league was an absolute disaster um you know as far as the fan base fan base went and I, you know I think I think the problem the problem for David Wagner is that um you know you're quite right to point out the mitigating circumstances against Schalke uh, when he was at Schalke but at black mark whether big or small is a problem you know you, you can't have too many managerial failures and you know his his high point at Huddersfield now was was twenty eighteen. That's that's five years ago. Yeah. So he you know at the at the moment on his CV Huddersfield is is the blip, and he's got to prove that it's not the blip and that actually Schalke and, and New Boys were. So there's, there's a bit of there's a bit of reputational damage for for Wagner to to address and I'd say. You know, those of us on the outside, we don't know the full ins and outs. We don't, you know, there might have been some perfectly good reasons behind the young boy's failure. As we say, Schalke was a bad choice, but it was a choice that Wagner made. So, you know, ultimately the responsibility for that, that lies with him. As, as a manager, you just cannot afford to rack up too many consecutive failures. Yeah. So there is there is pressure on him to, you know, to to make this Norwich move succeed, essentially, because of, because of what happened at Schalke and because of what happened at Young Boys. I mean, from my perspective, as somebody who writes about the Bundesliga, I have to say that Gerardo Sion, you know, winning the league three times in a row was a, a very huge accomplishment. And I wouldn't quite agree with the analogy of Young Boys being the uh, Juventus or the Bayern of the Swiss League. I would pin that one on FC Basel, to be fair. So, I mean, I think you'd probably be right of saying perhaps the Arsenal of the Swiss League. I mm. would agree with you there. But I mean, I think, you know, Essentially, um, I was actually at the match where FC Zurich became champions um, um, at the Letzigrund um, in May. And um, that FC Zurich team, which Moritz Leitner Connor played in, um, were an absolutely outstanding team. And I think that in some ways, um, I mean, Stuart, you watched um, you watched the, the Man United game, uh, Young Boys. And what sort of style? I mean, they actually beat Manchester United. I mean, in, in, a, in, in a complimentary way, let's say, I mean, what could you say about the style of play that Young Boys brought? Because obviously, even a Manchester United in a crisis at the time was still quite a big scalp to take for a small, for a Swiss team, basically. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, they, they were a good team. As I say, it... it, it Unfortunately, it's very black and white to say he failed at this club, he failed at that club. But the reality is that people from the outside will view it in that way. And even if, you know, directors of football sort of go into more depth than that and have better understanding, if you start as a club where the fan base doesn't believe in you, it makes it very difficult um, to win them over and to make progress. Uh, and I think I think that's the problem. You 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 saw at moments in that Champions League run, and at times that, that that there was the makings of a very good team there. You know, very energetic. They had some they had some very good players there. It wasn't it wasn't a complete washout, but the expectations were so high on the back of those you know back to back titles that that was the issue that the bar was just so very high. Whereas when he came in at Huddersfield, frankly, the bar was very low. I mean. Huddersfield, just to put it into context, won the won the top division title in England three times in a row, but that was in the 1920s. You know, it's 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 a it's a club whose glory days were a long, long way in in the past. Absolutely uh, right. Absolutely so, right. So you know, as a result, what was expected of him was very difficult, very different at, at Norwich, and and you know, Connor can uh, by all means disagree with this, but I, I think. Norwich have got themselves in a cycle where the expectation is that every season they're in the championship, they'll win it, frankly, at the, at the start of the season. They've just got used to this, this cycle of we win, we win the championship, we go into the Premier League, we get relegated. So there's a there's a lot of pressure on the Norwich City manager to to deliver in, in the in any championship season. Uh and yeah, it's it's just a different, 
a different thing for him to deal with. I'm not saying that he can't, but it's very different to the, to those circumstances at Huddersfield. Yeah. Connor, um, would you think that it would be fair to say that coming from a, a, a very poor season with Schalke uh, 04 to walk into uh, a club that had just won the title three years in a row uh, were quite big shoes for Wagner to fill at the time. Um, do you have any observations about his period with young boys? Yeah, I, it's, it, it is really interesting. And Stuart's absolutely spot on. I think it, 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 football more generally and more widely is very difficult to paint as black and white. Someone being a, a complete success or a complete failure, there's there's always a lot of nuance uh, between those a lot of the time. Sometimes it is easy to, to slot people into those categories, particularly coaches. I think probably the most damaging aspect for him was that there's, it was Zurich who won the title. He came from nowhere. They weren't expected to win it. Uh, and, and so that was probably the damage. If it was an FC Basel, if it was someone that maybe Swiss football was used to seeing win the title, I think maybe there would have been a little bit more sympathy with him because of the situation that he inherited. But to be as far behind as they were, 15 points, wasn't it? I think by, by the time he was he was sacked. I mean, that's that's a massive margin. And even though, as you mentioned, there, there were some wonderful scouts in Europe, domestically, they didn't quite do enough. And that is kind of the bread and butter, isn't it? So particularly for a team that's won the title on three occasions. So again, you put it in perspective, they finished second in, in, in the league. That is by absolutely no means a disaster, but it is because of the context that he walked into. So yeah. um, it, again, it's similarly to Schalke. I think you, and Stuart's right, people will look at it on the, uh, from the outside and externally and view it as, as maybe a disappointing spell or a failure. Um, but similarly to Schalke, I think there's a lot of context that you have to wrap, you have to wrap kind of behind it. So, um, actually, I, I think if you if you went into Norwich City Centre and you spoke to Norwich City fans and said, "Oh, what, what was the concern about David Wagner?" I think you get a lot more answers saying the young boys' reign than the Schalke reign. If I'm completely honest, um, so he, he he comes to as I said earlier, he comes to Norwich at a really interesting time in his career where. He has to prove it all again, and um, that's that's going to be the big task for him in the in the weeks, months, and uh, and possibly even years ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think just to, to, from a German football perspective, I have to say that Roger Schmidt, who took over at FC Zurich, who's now the Benfica Lisbon. I mean, the fact that he's now head coach at Benfica does show that he's pretty pretty decent. Um, and he did what German football regarded as pretty miraculous work at FC Zurich. Um, nobody expected them by any means to achieve what they basically did achieve. Anyway, looking forward, basically. So um, essentially, what do you expect? I mean, um, I spoke to Ben Ambrose uh, about the um, the Canarian Fugu, um, also raised that uh, at the press conference as well. And uh, uh, we got a very droll uh, reply. Uh, no, basically, he's not expecting to sign any Bundesliga players. Uh, I will put my hand in the fire, as they say in Germany, uh, which means that I'm dead certain that you will be seeing some Bundesliga players. Um, Connor, um, you know, how did the German era work out at uh, Norwich City? And would you, uh, as somebody who uh, is a daily writer about the club, would you would you welcome um, seeing some German players coming in? And what do you expect to happen now? Absolutely, I think it's it's one of the most joyous eras in in recent Norwich City history, and. As Stuart said, there's there's been a fair few of them. Uh, Paul Lambert had a had a really successful era where where he achieved the double promotion. Um, Alex Neal took the team to to Wembley not so long ago, and, and in very in quite similar circumstances actually to what David Wagner is is inheriting. Um, and obviously Daniel Farker produced two absolutely wonderful championship titles, and it wasn't just the fact that they won the league; it was the manner in which they won the league, playing completely dominant possession-based football that was really attractive to watch, with players who, quite frankly, had absolutely no right to play it in in terms of their background and uh, and where they came from. So, and obviously over the last thirteen months, Norwich have had Dean Smith, and I think a lot of people maybe have sympathy for what he inherited. It's always difficult as, again, probably uh, Jan Siever and others at Huddersfield experience following that guy is so tough. You almost want to be the guy after the guy, if that makes sense. Um, but I think there has been a yearning for kind of that German era to return. And, and there was a nice familiarity. It was kind of for, for Norwich fans and people of a Norwich persuasion. The way I'd describe it is like it was almost like putting on a comfy pair of slippers, you know, old slippers. You kind of slip your feet back in and you go, ah, oh, that's better. You know, there was when, when you heard that German accent, it was it was there was a, a real kind of uh, comfort in it, actually. So, yeah, I, I think Norwich fans are ready for that. And, and as I said earlier, there's been such a disconnect and such a wedge and fans didn't 
they weren't having Dean Smith and there were various reasons for that, which, you know, we could record an entirely, entirely different podcast on, but um, they, they weren't having him or his style of football. So I think they're ready to love again after Daniel Farker and, and they want David Wagner to do that. And because of his personality and uh, the way he speaks and his communication, I think actually Norwich fans uh, are ready for him and, and for his style of football. I spoke to Max Aarons after the game on, on Sunday and it was a one nil defeat to Blackburn and there were, um, small signs of what David Wagner was trying to do in terms of pressing intensity and different stuff. It was a little bit undercoached naturally because he'd only had three or four training sessions, but you speak to him afterwards and, and he was very upbeat and said, actually, look, there's a familiarity here with what we're trying to do. And the players are, are really on board with kind of the messages that he's trying to get across. So I think it's, it, it is actually, people have gone from a position of maybe being a little bit sceptical because of what we spoke about earlier and that relationship with Stuart Weber and maybe viewing it as a little bit of a lazy appointment to actually coming full circle and feeling that actually in the situation they're in, the type of person he is, that's before you get to maybe his, his resume as a coach, that actually it does feel increasingly like a very, very good fit for where Norwich City find themselves at this moment in time. Absolutely right. And I was at the game on Sunday and I loved every minute of it, despite the fact they lost. And I felt a very dysfunctional team, which basically needs looking at seriously in terms of the balance, in terms of the quality of the players on the pitch and so on. And there are some very good players as well, and particularly Ornel Fernandez, Hernandez, who is a German-born, I mean, German-raised player. Um, I'd be very interested, Stuart, as a very much a seasoned observer of football, what were the qualities that you saw under Daniel Farker at Norwich City? And um, how, do, how do you feel that um, Wagner, what is he going to bring to, to, to Norwich City? Um, can he can he replicate that or will it be a different style of football in your opinion? I think it'll be different. I think you know Connor's Connor's touched on on that already. I think it's I think it's a pity in, in many ways. I mean, from the outside, it, it, it seemed clear that, that that Dean Smith relationship with the Norwich fans just wasn't working for quite a long time. And I think it's a pity that they didn't make the decision before the World Cup and give Wagner that period on the training ground to really work on 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 his way of playing for a good four weeks and sort of prepare for the transfer window so i think that was a that was a pity but yeah i think it i think it's as we sort of touched on earlier you know intense is the word we've used a lot i think it's a more intense more sort of in your face style of football than than was played in, under daniel fart but i just feel again speaking as as an outsider and, and connor will obviously give you a much better perspective on this but from an outside view it just feels as if Norwich City as a football club just need re-energising at the moment. It feels like as the as the Daniel Fark era went on, good job though he did, Norwich sort of got into this lethargy of every season's groundhog season. You know, if, it, if it's an odd-numbered season or an even-numbered season, well, that must mean we're either going to get relegated or, or, or win the league sort of thing. The Championship was almost too easy for them. The premiership was just too difficult to make that step. And it, it just got to the stage where, you know, you sometimes find this with football clubs where we just want something different. And, and it, as I say from the outside, it just feels like they needed re-energising. And possibly that's true of Wagner as well. Yeah. So, I think that... Yeah. So possibly the, the fact that he has such an energetic approach as well and is such a personable person. I would hope from Norwich's perspective that all that chemistry comes together. But what I would say is... I've seen a lot of championship football this season. I've seen a lot of Sheffield United and, and they and Burnley at the moment look clear of the rest. There's some quite fierce competition for those playoff places because as well as Norwich, you've got Watford with parachute payments. You've got Middlesbrough and West Brom who've done the classic playoff thing of giving everyone a head start and have suddenly got their act together. Again, West Brom have got parachute payments. You know, it's going to be a tough ask to make that to succeed in those playoffs and I think the thing for Norwich is they, they may possibly just have to accept that this is the one season that they're not that they don't yo-yo in the wrong way stick with it stick with Wagner and hope we can see that overhaul that we saw at Huddersfield in his first pre-season and really kick on the next obviously they'll hope they can still go up in the playoffs they certainly can do that but it might require a bit more patience I think it'd be worth it in the end yeah. if they show it I mean, I was interviewed about um, Daniel Farker by a BBC Radio Norfolk uh, when I first started here at UE. Uh, well, anyway, and I said, look, German coaches need time because they've got a holistic approach. They look at everything from the training ground to the under-21s, the under-19s, everything, basically, nutrition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Connor, um, 
wrapping up or concluding uh give us an insight what is uh he inheriting basically what are the key positions Stuart Webber mentioned that uh half the squad seem to be on contracts that are running out in the summer I don't know if it's half the squad but a lot of the players um what's he inheriting what's he likely to get what's what's the former Borussia Dortmund two coach um basically stepping into um at Norwich City apart from a very fine very fine uh, city that it is it is a very fine so that's probably the best thing about the what he's stepping into to be honest because it's all a little bit of a mess uh you, you mentioned the squad there it's uh, you're right. There's there's eight players out of contract in the summer. They include Temu Buki. They include Onel Hernandez, who, who you mentioned. Uh, there there are numerous other kind of frontline first team options. Todd Campwell. We could we could go on. Um, and, and actually, after eight after the next eighteen months, they've only got eleven players who have contracts that exceed that. So again, it's it's a squad that at some point is going to be decimated and ripped up and kind of started again. And um, that's before you kind of get into maybe the lack of balance and the disjointed nature of the squad. Um, and also the sort of disconnect with the supporters who, as we said, in terms of Dean Smith, weren't having him, didn't really like his style of football, his approach, his how he was communicating with, with them. Um, and so he's got to repair that aspect as well. I mean, Stuart mentioned parachute payments the club have kind of burnt all theirs they've, they've spent through it in terms of uh, they, they spent it all on, on kind of Premier League recruits a couple of seasons ago so there's not a huge amount of money to play with either uh, and, and so for all of those reasons this is a little bit of a, a kind of promotional bust moment for the football club they have to get up or they are going to have to basically go back to where they were in 2017 where they're going to have to revamp the squad they're going to have to let a lot of players go and they're going to have to kind of rebuild a new project and so in that regard I think a lot of people view this maybe is Stuart Webber's final roll of the dice. He got the Dean Smith appointment wrong. He's got a lot of recruitment decisions wrong as well. Um, and actually, I recall him telling an anecdote at Huddersfield Town where uh, he had basically Dean Hoyle rang him just as he was about to choose who the next Huddersfield head coach was going to be. He had David Wagner or he had Dean Smith. And uh, Dean Hoyle said to him, look, whichever one you choose now, and I'll back you, but whichever one you choose is going to have big implications for your career. And he chose David Wagner. It kind of feels like we're there again, and he's chosen David Wagner again, and that's to me very interesting. But he's he's inheriting uh, a real, real sticky situation. But if they didn't get promoted, and if they finished eleventh, and if the season ended tomorrow, I think David Wagner would still be Norwich City head coach uh, next season, irrespective of what happens now. So, um, in many re- in many respects, he's not going to be judged for for what happens to the remainder of the season. But there is still that club wide expectation. They want to get back to the Premier League and they want to get back to the Premier League as soon as possible. Outstanding. And Stuart, you've given an incredible insight. And I have to say that Vincent Company's uh, Burnley are pretty irresistible. Sheffield United with uh, Reda Kadra, the former Borussia Dortmund player, also pretty, pretty decent. I thought Blackburn Connor looked pretty good on Sunday, to be honest. They're making really a lot of what they've got. They haven't necessarily got the most highly skilled team but they are playing like a team they are a compact unit and they were pretty hard to break down and Watford and Middlesbrough I mean basically in my mind are teams that always need to be up there or thereabouts and I don't wouldn't be at all surprised if Sunderland uh, and West Brom as you said uh, Stuart uh, do mount a challenge at some point so whatever Norwich does it's going to be very very tight and Connor as somebody who watches um Norwich City every day. Uh, what I want to understand is, um, will Wagner? You, you, you're saying that he'll probably get more than this year. He'll get 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 a second year, which which I think if you take a German coach on, you know the Ralph Rangnick thing at Manchester United, Stewart didn't work because they didn't give him the time to do it. He should have got the technical director job that he was being offered. But okay, Eric Ten Hag is a very you know uh, difficult character I think and it just I was very disappointed I, I talked to the BBC about uh, Rangnick and I was absolutely convinced that Man United had got the right guy to turn the club round and I'm very impressed that Ten Hag has managed to actually do that but as you know in summary essentially Wagner is inheriting a very dysfunctional situation contracts running out but my question is and I've never met Delia and she does some fantastic cookbooks I think we can agree on that will Delia and 
uh, Michael and so on, will they, you know, and this new investor from the United States. And I mean, one really good thing, David Wagner played his football for the United States. Maybe he's the one who can get this investor from the States whose name escapes me to actually invest more in the club and actually push them forward. Although my experience of following Stuart knows I've been following Pompey when I was down at Portsmouth University was that basically Michael Eisner did zip all for Portsmouth Football Club and the fans are massively disappointed. So, Connor, um, what will the new American investor bring in in the most positive possible way? And um, basically, are we going to see a Norwich City in a financial crisis and an inflation hit country, Brexit hit country, which we're all going through right now? You know, um, basically, are we really going to see money being put up? Because it didn't sound like to me as if they're going to put some money on the table in January. And I think, to be honest, you know, there's a couple of positions there. Uh, I th- I'm thinking, I think left back in particular, uh, where they could do with uh, bringing in a couple of players pretty damn quickly. Yeah, he's, he's not going to get funds. That's that's for sure. Certainly, unless there's there's a couple of departures this this window. I think um, Todd Campwell looks like he's he's going to leave the football club. There's been some speculation today about Jordan Tugill as well. So that there there may be channels and avenues that they can open up funds. I don't really see uh, Mark Atanasio, who's who's the American investment uh, American investor owner of the the Milwaukee Brewers, um, plunging in loads of uh, of cash. Certainly in the Championship, I think it may be a little bit different if they were to gain promotion to the Premier League, and he may well help them out to kind of get deals over the line that they haven't been able to get over the line in the past. But I, I see that one as kind of a little bit of a, of a slow burner. And actually, uh, the, the agreement that he's got at the moment is actually to increase his shares kind of over a seven-year period. So, again, I, I don't think that's something that David Wagner is going to necessarily profit from at, at immediately and you're right there's a degree, a degree of necessity in terms of why they had to to go and search for some external investment but also to be shown to be doing something slightly differently because they've gone up with this kind of self-funding model on so many occasions and as Stuart spoke about earlier they haven't been able to crack the Premier League uh, and actually you look a bit more long term absolutely short term you can look at David Wagner as a short term appointment and make a case that Okay, he got a team through the playoffs. He got a team um, successfully through the playoffs into the Premier League. But long term, he kept a team in the Premier League. That is the bit that I think Stuart Webber and Norwich City fans are looking at because they haven't had a manager since Paul Lambert uh, in terms of first year after promotion. Chris Hewton then then took it on and and kept them up for a year as well. But that three-year spell in the Premier League that they had to kind of 2011 to about 2014 almost a decade now since this football club has stayed in the Premier League for longer than one season. It's a big, big challenge. And he is someone who loves to be the underdog, who can galvanise a group. Um, and almost he he has got that at Norwich City and will have that at Norwich City, either if he's able to get them through the playoffs, because no one expects it, not even the, the, the fans at this moment in time. But also if they went up to the Premier League, they would very much be cast in the role as they are every single time that everyone would expect them to come back straight back down again. So you're right. I think he will take a holistic view. I think Norwich will take a long-term view. If he doesn't bring success, I don't necessarily think it will be him that gets the criticism. I think that will be directed more towards Stuart Webber on decisions like Stuart spoke about in terms of why wasn't this kind of process done before the World Cup break. So I think in many ways, certainly for the first well, until now, probably to the start of, of next season, irrespective of what happens, I think he's got to an extent a free pass, unless it's a complete disaster. I think all he needs to do is show there's a style of football that Norwich City fans can get behind. That's been a major criticism of of life under Dean Smith, that there hasn't been a recognisable way of playing. And also some getting some positivity back in the club and getting a connection with the fans. If he does that, irrespective of results to an extent, I think Norwich fans would be happy to give him longer than than, than just now to the end of the season. So um, he will get that time. And Norwich City, just finally, my final point, Norwich City more traditionally is a club that gives managers time. And I think that is probably why it's such an attractive proposition for coaches to come into this into this football club. That's a fantastic point. I think one of the lessons, Ben, of, of, of uh, Wagner's time at Huddersfield Town, we're not talking about a checkbook manager here. We're talking about a coach. We're talking about someone who came through the Dortmund system and learned how to make players better. Those those 17 signings he made at Huddersfield, that wasn't him waving the checkbook around. As I said, that was picking players from Bundesliga Zwei, from backwaters, and turning them into better players. The problems actually came at Huddersfield. I mean, when they first came up, I think they broke the, the transfer record four times in the space of the summer, but that was just because it was the first time in the Premier League. It, they weren't spending big money by Premier League standards. It was season two when they spent more money, when they actually, that was that was their downfall. So I don't think working on a tight budget 
is something that Norwich fans should be too worried about with regards to David Wagner. It's more about can he improve the players that he's already got and the players that, say, are brought in for small fees in, in January. So I wouldn't be too despairing of the fact that they're not going to throw huge amounts of money at him, even though some of their rivals might. That's not that's not his raison d'etre. That's not his his big skill. I want to just conclude with a question to you, Connor, because you're a, a, a conoscenti when it comes to Norwich City. And for any Borussia Dortmund fans who are listening to this podcast and who want to know more about Norwich City, and we'll come to both of your social media um, before I ask you for your um, prediction for the season. Um, but, um, Connor, what are the positions where you feel uh, Norwich City perhaps players are playing out of position at the moment where you think that... Um, that Wagner might um, might be able to uh, change change that, and also which positions do you think are crucial for success in terms of hiring uh, going forward? They, they need some creativity in their team. I think that's 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 certain. They, they they've lost Aaron Ramsey, who's been their who was their most creative player in the first half of the season. wasn't consistent, but was still their their first, their most creative player. He's had to go back to Aston Villa. Um, because of a knee injury that he sustained during the World Cup break. As I mentioned earlier, it looks like Todd Camp was going to leave the club. That, again, very inconsistent and, and hasn't quite been able to to reignite his career at Norwich, but someone who, who is another creative presence. So he comes into a Norwich team that really lacks creativity, to be honest. Um, so, so he's got to solve that conundrum. And, and to an extent, you will have seen it on Sunday when you were in the ground and they had 26 shots, but didn't really create a key cut chance, 20 a clear-cut chance, sorry, 20 corners. So he has to fix those issues at the top end of the pitch. It was interesting what he was saying about Josh Sargent, I felt, who has kind of been shoehorned into the team by Dean Smith into a wide role. It's not really where he plays. He's a, a central striker. He's Norwich City's top goal scorer this season. Tame Puki has almost caused a little bit of a problem for, for Norwich in that sense, which is utterly bizarre because he's, he's uh, one of the championship's best strikers. So it's the top end of the pitch for me that he needs to improve. Uh, he's got two really attacking fullbacks that I, I think he'll like and that will suit his system in Max Aarons and Dimi Yanoulis. I think he could do with another central midfielder. Um, but beyond that, he's got some really good materials to kind of craft together, whether they are fit enough to do what he wants them to do. Um, in, in this sort of period of time, we'll find out. But if the squad is as good as everyone believes it is and everyone speaks about it being, and I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that at this moment in time, um, then you should be able to get a tune out of them and, and get a tune out of them pretty quickly, hopefully. That's the plan. Hopefully. So in summary, Stuart, I think we're looking at a situation similar to Huddersfield, where he's basically inherited a club which wasn't in a particularly strong place, um, which basically didn't have a particularly high budget, and had uh, and basically he uh, he's looking at a situation which is he he's able to mould it, but he's going to need to mould it on a low budget and the expectation this season of going up to the um, Premier League is um, is perhaps a little over optimistic in the short term. But Connor, what you essentially said is that um, Wagner will be given the time that he needs to mould it as long as they're playing positive football as long as they're seen to be challenging for those playoff places in a very strong way uh, and that perhaps the issues within the club are more to do with the higher echelons and the decisions that have been made and so on and that a lot of pressure is on them to get it right but also to back Wagner's decision. Stuart would you say that that's about the summary of it and also what's your prediction gentlemen about uh, Norwich City's finish? I'm going to start with my finish I'm going to say that Norwich City will finish uh, in eighth position, um, it'll be extremely tight, but um, I'm just going to, you know, even if it means I can't ever go to Carrow Road again, I think it's going to take him more than one season to get them up. Stuart, I mean, just, you. sorry, Connor, uh, just, just from, I mean, from my perspective, the, the championship is just absolutely bonkers. There's no point really trying to second guess what's going to go on, especially with the playoffs. Um, Norwich could make the playoffs. I think they'll be in contention for the playoffs. But I think what matters this season from Wagner's point of view is that he puts his stamp on this team and that he has next season, uh, sorry, and he has a pre-season to work on them. If that takes them into the playoffs and even into the Premier League in the meantime, that's an absolute bonus. But really, it's about gearing up to be ready for next season. And as Connor says, he's, he's come to a, a sensible football club where they do give managers time. So he should be able to work on the basis that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see this as a long-term project. It's not just a panic. I have to get results in the next three weeks or I'm going to get the sack. Uh, as I say, it, it could it could happen earlier than expected, 
And if it does, happy days for Norwich. But more than more than anything else, it's about having a really strong next season, I think. I think so too. Prediction, uh, Stuart? Um, I say I think they'll I think they'll be in contention for the playoffs. I think they will probably I think it'll probably it might even go down to the last week, whether they make it or not. I think they might I think they might scrape in. Um, but who knows in the championship. Well, I think one thing we can agree on, Borussia Dortmund 2 was a, a small side in under 23 of a big club. Uh, Schalke 04 was one of the biggest clubs in Europe on a, in a good year. Um, young boys burned the expectations were absolutely astonishingly high for him coming from a, a very difficult Schalke situation. Um, Huddersfield, he took a very small club and made them bark so to speak, forgive the pun. Um, and uh, the man has definitely shown talent, ability, and above all, Connor, what we've seen is a really warm, a really warm personality, an energetic person who's going to invigorate the club and who's definitely smart and switched on. And as a Borussia Dortmund fan, even though he was with Gelsenkirchen, as we call them, the blue and white team, uh, we basically uh, want to see Wagner do well. And I'm really looking forward to bringing more members of the fan club down to Carrow Road. Connor, you have the last word prediction if you dare to put a prediction on it uh i've got a feeling you're going to say playoff place but um i think the show has been incredibly interesting insightful and it's really set people's expectations to be frank um so over to you and then lastly just your social media yeah i i, I can kind of see it going both ways to be honest not to cop out so what i, what I will say is I, I, and you're right I, I think they will just scrape in i think they'll lose in the playoff semi-finals actually is is kind of my prediction and even though this feels mad to say I think a lot of Norwich fans would take that because it means actually that his philosophy has probably been quite successful and that people are, are probably seeing some positive signs and that would at least bring people into next season feeling a little bit more positive so I think they'll finish in the playoffs I think he'll get them up there that shouldn't be at the way I've kind of described it as a competent manager with this squad should be able to do that a very very good manager probably gets them gets them up but there's a lot of issues as I said at Norwich City that um, won't solely been down to him so as long as there are positive signs and some signs of progress uh, I think he will he'll he'll be absolutely fine so yeah I'm going for a, a semi-final playoff defeat I don't know who to um, and uh, and yeah so maybe fifth or sixth I, I, I'll say looking forward to that thank you guys and uh, it's been very intriguing and interesting and um, where can people find you if they want to find out more information uh, or information if they just want to get in touch and and compliment you on your on your wonderful uh, commentary today Stuart well, if people want to abuse me, they could do it on Twitter at Stu Rayner. Nice one. And I even got away with not asking you what team you support. And I'm going to promise you not to do that in the future either. So it'll have to be that'll have to be your little mystery. <laughs> Connor, uh, where can we we can find Connor Southwell absolutely everywhere. I can hardly believe it. He literally, I mean, it's like, where where can we not find you, Connor? Where would you like to be found? Um well, I'd like not to be found in my own house, so that, that would be, that would be good. But if you if you want to find me, Twitter's the best place. CJ Southwell nineteen oh two, and of course uh, the Pinken is is probably the best place in terms of uh, all of all of my Norwich City related work. Or if you're a Dortmund fan and you you want to speak about Paul Lambert or Daniel Farker or David Wagner, then uh, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be up for those chats absolutely. Borussia Dortmund.